Hey guys, Joshua Miller here. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. It doesn't cost a thing to download. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, Podcast, and many, many more. It automatically will send them to those. You can make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. You don't have to click and drag from one to another and have several open and use it. It's all in one place for you. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks. Have a great day. Hey guys, I want to let you know uh, that if you would like to contact me th- with any questions or comments, you can also reach me with Joshua Ministries 741 at gmail.com and reach me that way with any comments or questions. And I appreciate it. Let's get into the lesson today. Are we in the last days? Are we in the last times? I can't say for sure because the Bible tells us that we won't know the dates. We won't know the times. But scriptures teaches us to be ready. We need to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We need to have a personal relationship with him. We need to accept his redemption provided to us through his shed blood on the cross. I want to look at some scriptures today that point to the last time, some things that we can look for in the last times. This is just hopefully would just encourage us to be ready and prepare. Will it be today? I don't know. Will it be tomorrow? I don't know. Will it be a month from now, a year from now, I don't know, but the Lord calls us to be ready. So here are some things to look for. And we look we are looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we have things that are going on. As we read this scripture here, you'll see that a lot of this is going on today as we speak. So let's start with uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 9. Uh, Verse 1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for what you've done for us, what you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to study your word today. 
We pray that as we are looking here at the last times, things that are triggers for the last times, we know we don't know the date or the time, but we know that you've called us to be ready and things to look for so that we know the day is approaching. I pray that we would be ready, be prepared. And as the last times, we're, we, we're in very uncertain times here in the, uh, the U.S., and around the world, but we know we have a faithful Father, faithful Heavenly Father that cares for us and loves us very much. Pray that we would be careful to follow you and obedient to you. And we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back to verse 1. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So perilous times are dangerous times, uncertain times. There will be things that you'll be less safe. There will be more crimes. There will be more uh, dangers to look out for. Those that uh, may may endanger your life, more things to endanger your life around you. And here in verse 2 and through the next few verses, here he describes the the state of mind for men that will commit these uh, dangers, um, the perilous times, those that will act, take action in these perilous times. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So let's cover verse 2 right here. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And we see that a lot. We have especially on platforms, social media platforms. We have Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, things like that. And you'll notice as you cover, as you scroll through, uh, you'll see a lot of people that are um, promoting themselves. And I kind of, I'm on social media, but I've always had trouble promoting myself because I don't feel, I feel like that's boasting. And I kind of have trouble with that. I need to, you know, advertise or market myself with certain, uh, I have a couple YouTube channels, but I, I never feel comfortable doing that because it, it seems like I'm putting myself out in front, like I'm um, boasting myself. And it's kind of hard for me to do that, just normal things for that reason. But he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. So this means that they're going to put themselves first and they are going to care about themselves first before anyone else. Uh, instead of being selfless like Christ, they're selfish. They, they themselves, is they are most important, whatever happens revolves around them in their eyes they are it they are the ones all eyes should be turned upon are themselves they're covetous they will take things that are someone else's uh, which means they their action would be stealing if they covet you know one of the ten commandments is thou shalt not covet and coveting means that we look at someone else's possessions and we desire not to have something similar to what our neighbor has, but we want that specific thing that our neighbor has, and we want to take it for ourselves. That's what covetous is. Coveting is not that, hey, I like that uh, bicycle you have. I would like to have one like that that has... Uh, 10 speeds, 15 speeds, and nice fat tires on it. Uh, but no, you say, no, I want that bike. So now you're turning on a brother or a sister and saying, I'm going to take what you have for myself. Boasters say, hey, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look what I can do. There's many that claim that their fame and their popularity is because of what they've done what they have, their energy and their efforts that they put into it. They should know that nothing happens unless the Lord's 
Lord allows it to happen. He's given us the breath that is in us. He's given us the health that we have. Whatever it is, we move and breathe. We have our being, our well-being in Christ and Him alone. But nope, that's not the case in the last times. They will be proud. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Well, we see a lot of that today. We see a lot of pride swelling up in men and women. And they claim that their their position, their state of being is, is gained by themselves, their own accomplishments. But that is far from the truth. They're proud. And that's another, another uh, fault in the, the state of being in the last times. They're blasphemers. They'll take the word of God and they'll, they'll will violate it, defile it. Uh, they will take the Lord. This one thing that would fit in this category would be taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, again, one of the Ten Commandments, not to take the Lord's name in vain. And we'll blaspheme the Word of God, and we'll, we won't hold the Word of God as any authority, as any any regard. We don't respect the Word of God anymore. But we know the Word of God is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. We know this if you're in Christ. But in the last times, there's going to be more and more of this ungodliness, unholiness. Uh, he says they're disobedient to parents. And I you see a lot of this. And the, the public schools aren't helping any, teaching critical race theory. They're teaching children to question their parents, question the authority that they have, their guardians, question whether their parents have the right to tell the children what to do. It's already hard enough to raise a child because it gets to a point the child thinks they know more than their parent does. But these public schools are are stoking the fire, as it were. Disobedient to parents, no respect for parents. Again, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. There's a promise that says this is the first commandment with promise that you may live long on the earth. But that's not the case anymore. Children don't want to obey their parents. They don't want to follow the authority that God has put. They want to question it to the point of uh, denying its position, denying the the role that God has made for the family. You made the family in a certain way, in a certain order, and yet society is attacking it. God made the family and the nuclear family to thrive. And it thrives in the way he ordained it. He ordained a man, a woman, to first be married. Then once they're married, they produce children. And the the order of the family is man being head of the house, the woman being next in the order, not next in importance, but next in the order. The man is head of the house, then the woman. And she is his helpmeet to help carry out the family. And she teaches the children. He teaches the children. They are there. And the children come last. But we see in society, it's backwards. The children come first. They're in charge. Whatever they want comes first. You, The parents follow what the children say. They'll buy them whatever they want them to buy. Buy the next game. Buy the next app whatever it is disobedient to parents well what is the one of the ten commandments say that shortens your life if you disrespect your parents it shortens your life if it dis if you're disobedient to your parents it shortens your life they're unthankful this i'm not very fond of either being unthankful we live in an age and a generation that is unthankful of, for what they have. I'll think back. Uh, I'll use my great granddaddy, my granddaddy Roy, as an example. He uh, grew up without much. 
he grew up with wagons and mules back when he was my age i reckon he didn't have a vehicle but he had mules he had wagons he had a garden he had to pick cotton when he was a kid uh he had cattle later later on he knew how to work he knew how to provide for his family he knew how to his he knew that his father and mother were in charge and he had to do what he was told he had to respect his parents he knew that he had to work together as a family to provide and there was a lot of hard work and a lot of effort put in to everyday living you had to work to live and he was he, he was a very good example he was respectful to his parents uh he lived a life pleasing to the lord um he's a very good influence on me and knowing that he was in world war ii served in the army and he did his job there i have a lot of respect for him but one thing i learned was that he was thankful for what he had he understood that nothing came to you for free you didn't get anything on welfare. You worked, if you desired something, you had to acquire it by hard work. And he learned to be thankful for what he had. Uh, remember, he was very frugal. He saved his money. And the money that he had saved, he'd built his own house, a brick house. Before that, if I'm not mistaken, he lived in old uh, poplar slatted house with a tin roof, but he was able to save up his money and build his own house. He was thankful for that and he worked hard for that and he knew where that the ability came from was from the Lord. The next one is unholy. Uh, we have a trend in this country. Um, we gotta remember when there's spiritual warfare, that's why these last times look so bad, so bleak unholy that anything unholy is the opposite of holy which is anything that is pleasing to god anything that's christ-like anything that's pure and we live in a society that they'd rather uh promote unholiness instead of holiness holiness is complying with the word of god being obedient to him Having put our faith and trust in Christ, he forgave us of our sins. He's cleansed our heart from all unrighteousness. We've been righteousness. He makes us holy. He makes us like God. He indwells with us through the Holy Spirit. Our holiness comes from him, not from us, of course. You know, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But the world, our society doesn't want any of that. They don't want any holiness. They want unholiness. They want to be able to party whenever. They want to be able to drink themselves to oblivion. They want to, you know, enjoy the pleasures of this world. Not quite understanding that it is fun. It's pleasurable. But for a season, temporary, it won't last. Verse 3 says, without natural affection. You know, here, there were used to be more care for one another expressed to those around us. But now we live in a society of where we're glued to the smartphone. We're glued to a screen. And we ignore those around us. We don't have any natural affection. We would care for people we would ask people how are you doing today how's your family and we would mean it when we asked it it wasn't just a a greeting too many times we say that we don't really care what their how their family is we don't really care how they feel we're just saying that that's what you're supposed to say when you see somebody 
they're without natural affection. They're care. They don't, they, they, are you really concerned when you ask someone that? Maybe think about that the next time you ask someone, how are you doing today? Did you mean it or are you just, that's what you're supposed to say? Because too, too many today are without the natural affection or care for one another, care for brothers and sisters, whether they're saved or not. Human, human beings, we had to care for others. We respected others. They have an opinion. We have an opinion. They can say what they want to say. We can say what we want to say. Truce breakers. How many times have you heard uh, someone say, I promise I will do this, and they break their promise? <laughs> Saying that again, that reminds me of politicians promising something and never following through with it. I know some of my own politicians where I live that don't keep their promises that are uh, say one thing and mean something else. False accusers. They want to put the blame on someone else. Now, where is our accountability? Who's accountable anymore? All I hear is, well, we'll blame this person. We'll blame the invasion at the border on someone else. When it was on the one that claimed the blame on someone else. They want to, we, we, we're too quick to, to lie. That's a lie for one false accuser. Accuse someone else of doing something you did. We need to learn to take accountability. There's a lot of problem problems in blaming someone else. Incontinence. Uh, we can't. Where where is our integrity? Where is our our morals? Our character. It's lacking. Seems to be lacking. Fierce. Always in anger. And this is kind. Of, this is kind of stepping up from the first phrase in verse three without natural affection. So we don't really care about one another, and we don't keep our promises, and we're going to blame someone else for our failures, and we're not going to maintain our integrity and character. Uh, I mean, what's stopping us from being aggressive towards others? After all, we're covetous, boasters, we're proud, blaspheme the word of God, and we're disobedient to our parents. What's next? Despisers of those that are good. Well, this here, you see a progression here in what Paul mentions to Timothy. He says, despisers of those that are good. Well, why would you despise someone else that's doing good? Why would them doing good have anything? Why would that hurt you? Well, maybe it makes you look bad because someone else is doing good and you're doing bad. Maybe it makes you look bad. Uh, that brings to mind my papa, uh, my mom's dad, uh, used to work in a Ford factory. And him, with the integrity and character that he had, he worked on the line that he was on, whatever assembly line he was on, and he did his job. He did his quota. He kept up. Well, there were lazy men around him, and they started despising him because they were making him look bad. And sometimes they would throw him off try to mess his work up so he wouldn't get his job the job done trying to so it didn't make them look bad which made them even worse because they were they were thwarting the other man's productivity and they just because they're doing bad they don't want anyone doing good because that would make them look bad but if they would be accountable for themselves and take be accountable for their actions or lack of action and correct it. I mean, that would I think would work better than despising those that do good. But yet there is a lot of that. Verse four: Traitors. 
a lot of backstabbing people today. We have a lot of dissension here between parties, political parties, and between uh, religions and such, denominations, instead of, uh, we want to, seems like we want to fight more amongst ourselves than work together, look over the nuances. Doctrine is doctrine, and the Word of God doesn't change if we're founded on that. What is what does it hurt if we disagree on a couple little things that don't don't uh, determine our eternal destiny? It's okay to have a, a, your opinion and me have my opinion for things that aren't sound biblical doctrine in the Word of God. We can have different pews. We can have different color walls. We can have different color drapes over the windows why do we have to get in a fight over things like that it makes no sense too quick to fight and amongst ourselves instead of support each other and, re and fight the enemy the true enemy which is the devil we're high-minded we think lofty high-minded i think of uh that's another quick way to trip and fall thinking of being more, too confident in our our own ability is what that would be thinking assuming we are more capable than we actually are and we should instead rely on Jesus and his work instead next is lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And we see that a lot. I, the church that I attend right now, that, that I'm working at, uh, assisting, I should say, right now, uh, there's a lot of empty pews. And why is that? That could be various reasons. But one of the main reasons is that men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We love to go to football games instead of going to church. We love to go to the lake instead of going to church. We love to play golf instead of going to church. We love to stay in bed instead of going to church so on put whatever in there whatever we put in the pleasures we have we want to sleep more we want to eat more we want to play golf more whatever it is lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god we want to go watch a movie i don't understand going into a football game or baseball game you're sitting on steel bleachers cold bleachers hard concrete and you can sit there for hours and you can hoop and holler and scream and but you won't darken the doors of a church. It doesn't make sense to me. But except this verse four here explains it. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That means if you can't take the time to go to a church and worship the Lord, you love pleasures more than God. You don't love God. You love the game. You love the lake. You love your boat. You don't love God or you would show it. He said, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more as you see that day approaching. He's speaking of the last times. There's too many of us lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now here Paul gives a warning to Timothy, turn away from these people. Do not accompany yourself with these people. We know that, for example, a bushel of apples, say you've got a bushel of good apples and you have one rotten apple in there. Do you leave the rotten apple? All the other apples will be good? No, you have to remove the rotten apple because it will ruin the whole bushel. Same with us. If we expect to, to serve the Lord and obey Him and please Him, 
we have to spend time out time with godly people those that will help us lift us up and build us up yes we're to witness to the world but we don't participate in what in their action in their sins their unholiness their unrighteousness we're supposed to be an influence on them we're supposed to spend time fellowship that's what it's called fellowship with christians fellowship with believers I'm going to leave off here, and I hope that you'll pick up for part two. Okay, this is part two, picking up 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. Verse 5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So the first phrase there, having a form of godliness. So what I understand here is that you can be or you can claim to be a Christian and you can act like a Christian, but that doesn't mean you are a Christian. Example, you can go to church, you can attend a church and you can sit in the pew you can participate in the singing. You can participate in the, the worship, the service. You can hear the sermon. You can put money in the plate. You can pray when the pastor calls on you to, to pray. But that doesn't mean that you are right with God. You can. There are those that can do that. You may call it a facade. They put on a show for others, but really when their their heart is not right with God. It says having a form of godliness. A form of godliness could be a religion It's that's based on your works. We, we, don't, we cannot make it to heaven on our works, but our works shows others our faith in Jesus. If we have faith in Jesus, we're going to work because he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But we can't work and just just practice a routine and expect that to be all that we need. There's a form of godliness. We may say, say a certain prayer. We may sing a certain song. It's more like a broken record you just do it over and over again there's no meaning to it there's no body to it it's a form of godliness he says but continues but denying the power thereof i know know many that are actually in this state here denying the power thereof they may attend church they may pray they say they pray they say they, they have a relationship with God, but they deny the power thereof because then they you, you'll notice when someone questions, well, did God really heal him or was it just the doctor? The do- that was a good doctor that they went to. You'll, you'll notice that when someone says something like that, then instead of giving the credit to God, truly giving the credit to him as the great physician they'll ascribe it to to maybe a physician a doctor or so on that's just an example uh, but denying the power thereof the lord told us go out into the world to teach and preach and baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost but then do we really believe that do we really believe that the holy ghost saves them Do we really believe that he washes away our sins? So there's a difference just going through the motions and actually believing it and living it. You notice it's far less effort to live it than try to follow the steps and do this right, do this right, do that right. And when you're living it, when you have Christ in your heart, when you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, he leads you and guides you. It's fluid motion. He says, from such, 
turn away. If there's those that deny, they have a God, like a, they have a procedure to follow. They have a form. You have to do this amount of songs for congregation. You have to pray here. Then you have to pass the plate here. And it's down to the, um, down to the, the program. They're following the program. He says, from such turn away. Living, you know, living in Christ is is life, should be full of life, joy, peace. Verse 6, he says, for of this sort are they which creep into houses. So he describes, has described in verses 2 through 5, characteristics that we can find to call out these particular people in perilous times that are unholy that are ungodly so if you notice any of these in a particular person you should be able to call them out and understand that they are not living in in a in a a, the right relationship with the lord He's warning Timothy to stay away from these people because they could cause you to slip and fall. This is also a sign of the, the perilous times in the last days. So now he's going to describe what they do. These are things you can find in them. Their, their character or lack of, their integrity or lack of, their lack of natural affection, their lack of keeping their word. Um, he says for in verse six, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust. So we see this a lot here in verse six of this sort, you know, God ordained marriage to be between one man and one woman, holy matrimony designed for these two becoming one flesh, one male, one female, joining together, ordained by God, and becoming one flesh. God intended for that to be until death do you part. That is the only thing that God allowed when he established it to separate a marriage, and that would be death. Nothing else. No no other excuses. The only thing he said was because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses had to give you this letter of divorce. That was not the intention. Jesus said that nothing could divide a marriage unless that one fell and committed adultery. That's the only thing that could split a marriage. Nothing else. Finances, that's not a reason for divorce according to Jesus. Um your aspirations is not uh, give you the green light to get a divorce. Nothing, whatever. You want to go your separate ways. That doesn't give you a green light for a divorce. You should have thought of that before you got married. But they, we see this a lot. Instead, they don't hold the ordinances of God, the establishments of God of any respect. So here is a, is a, a scene in verse 6 of promiscuous living, uh, sexual sins with multiple people, those uh, uh, sex outside of marriage. They don't hold the, the marriage to be of any, any consequence. You can... Live with somebody if you want to shack up with them. If you like that person a lot, I think what we hear a lot today is, well, I don't know if I can marry him and be with him or her for the rest of my life. So I just want to test the water. So we'll just shack up. We'll, we'll live together and see how it works. And if, if it's good, then we'll get married. Well, I know too many people that are doing that, and they, they, they claim to be Christians. They go to church. They say they love the Lord, and yet they're, they're 
in a, a, 20, a constant sin 24-7. If you're living with somebody as your spouse and you're not married, that's called uh, fornication. And that's what a lot of people do, even those that profess to be Christians, Christ followers, they follow the world. They think shacking up with someone's okay, and I've experienced that. I've had to deal with that. Those in a church and wanting to live this way, but claim the name of God and claim they follow him, claim they love him, and, and yet they're living like the world. They lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, full of lust, fornication, adultery, uh, whatever the case is outside of marriage, that's ungodly and unholy, no matter how you try to slice it. Verse 7 says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We've seen this as well in schools and universities. Uh, we see that they're learning. We get a degree, you go for four years or so, go for eight years, whatever it is. And they some get to the point in society that they've learned everything they need to know. They've, they're the epitome of academics. And yet they've never come to the knowledge of truth. They never realize that they... They don't realize they're finite. They don't realize they're on a pathway to death. They don't realize that every breath they breathe is meant to them by the Lord. They don't realize their life is short. It's like a vapor. It appears for a little time, then vanishes away. They know so much, but they haven't prepared for eternity. They haven't come to the knowledge of the truth, but they, they learn so much. Verse 8 gives an example of two individuals that actually withstood a man of God. Here in verse 8 is now as Janus and Jambres uh, withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. So this example here, if you'll go back to uh, Exodus chapter 7 and verse 11. It goes back to the time of Moses back in Exodus of his people just before they left Egypt. Moses was in a duel with Pharaoh. God told him to do this and do that. And we, we know of the 10 plagues. This is when it happened. One of the plagues was they were resisting. Pharaoh was resisting Moses and Aaron turned the staff, the wood staff, into a serpent, and it slithered along the ground. Well, Janus and Jambres were the magicians of Pharaoh. They did the same thing. They turned their staffs into serpents. But there was a key difference, was that Aaron's rod was the real deal, was the power of God. Janus and Jambres were counterfeit. They were satanic. They copied the power of God, but they didn't have the power of God. So what happened? If you'll go back and read, you'll notice that Aaron's snake consumed their snakes. And then Aaron picked the snake up off the ground and it turned back into a staff, showing them that God in him is true power. He is in charge. The devil cannot do anything unless God allows. But we see many people counterfeit, counterfeit churches, counterfeit pastors, counterfeit leaders, whatever the case, counterfeit looks good. They can do the they can do a lot of things the same. They can hold services, meetings, they can sing songs, they can pass a plate, collect money. But we see there's many counterfeits. Here in uh 2 Timothy, we see we in chapter 3 here, verses 1 through 9, Paul is giving him uh 
clues to look for for these counterfeits, those that can copy unholy things, copying holy things. But here now we, we know how to catch it. We can we can call it out. We can to hold hold of that. I can't fellowship with that. Because we can't, how can uh, sweet water and bitter water dwell in the same pot? That doesn't happen. Either it's bitter or it's sweet. One of the two. It can't be both. So we either have the truth. We saw Moses, Aaron's staff turning to a serpent. Or we had the counterfeit. Janus and Jambres copying, but then... Their their snakes, they were they Aaron's rod was outnumbered and yet it defeated theirs because it was in the power of God. So he says, Now as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Anyone that won't accept the truth and follow the truth, which is God's word, remember uh John 14 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But there's many counterfeits that say you can go to heaven this way. You can go to heaven that way. There's many ways to heaven. If you look at Isaiah 35, 11, I believe it is, there is one way described there, and it's called the highway of holiness. And it's but one way, one road, one path. That is, of course, Jesus Christ. He provided that way through his shed blood on the cross. There is no other way. And, and we're try there's a bumper sticker that says that we should coexist. That is not possible to coexist. Um, you know, there's a, a law of non-contradiction to opposing, I'll say ideas, I can't remember word for word, two opposing ideas cannot both be true at the same time. One has to be false. You know, in God's truth, when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. He is he is contradicting every other religion that says you can come through Buddha, you can come through Confucius, you can come through Muhammad or whatever, on down the line. You can only have eternal life. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. And we need to understand this. We cannot coexist. There is good there is evil. There is God. There is the devil. You are on one of two sides. And there are only two sides. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground. It's not a fork in the road. You're already either you're bound for hell, bound for destruction, or you've realized your condition and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and trusted him and believed on the name of the Father, and you are saved. You are on your way to heaven. One of the two. He says, they're men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Be careful of these people. They can be quite cunning. They can look good. They can be appealing but we have to, to compare them to the Word of God to understand. We have to know the truth. We don't study. How can you tell if something's counterfeit? You don't study the counterfeit. You study the real thing. And you learn the real thing. Learn the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Study the Word of God. When the counterfeit comes, you can identify it. And you notice, veer away from it. Verse 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So this is a, a bit of encouragement here in verse 9. There's a lot of de 
saddening things here in the, the previous verses of the, the actions of, of men in the perilous t- in the last days and the perilous times that we shall live in. And it seems that we're approaching. It seems like we're living in the last days now with all these. Uh, the, I mean, I, everything we've gone through in these verses is happening now. People are acting this way. People are disobeying their parents. Children are disobeying their parents. People don't care about other people. People all over the place are selfish. People are breaking promises. You can't, they're not men of their words. They accuse others falsely. I mean, on down the line of we're living it. But he says, they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men. If you memorize God's word, you study it, you apply it, it will call out these sorts and we'll we'll learn to stay away we'll learn that we want to our our company to be holy and righteous and godlike and christ-like our fellowship we'll realize we need it fellowship with believers to strengthen us and embolden us and encourage us that's why we attend church so that we can fellowship with other believers that kind of that recharges our batteries for the week so that we can be an example and so that we can be an influence to others at work, at school, wherever we are through the week. And they can't hide. They, it's You've heard of the term wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, the word of God sheds that, the light on that, and it, it they can't hide. It calls them out. So if you learn to use the word of God in this, as we see these last times approaching, I hope this will help you maneuver through these perilous times, dangerous times, but we need to trust on the Lord, trust in his word. So I hope this has been helpful to you. I appreciate you listening. And God bless until next time.